Hello, I'm Oliver Culling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. A particularly big welcome if you're listening for the first time. If you like what you hear in the next half hour or so, don't forget you can catch up and never miss a future episode by subscribing to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever else you normally source your podcasts. As usual, big thank you for sharing your thoughts and comments with me. I'm so pleased that you keep in touch, as without you, I wouldn't have a show, so thank you. Comments I've received this week include lots of you entering the Swap Shop versus Tiswas debate, where there's a clear preference for Tiswas emerging, and also for your contributions to the similar Blue Peter against Magpie question. It seems, though, that many of you agree with David from Australia on this one in that you really wanted to like Magpie better and therefore appear to be cool and hip, but that you actually enjoy Blue Peter much more and can only really admit to that now. I suspect that debate is going to run and run. I've also had some feedback on our recent episode featuring Tim Worthington and I discussing the Sunday game. Some of you feel that we painted too bleak a picture of Sunday broadcasting and... In particular, ignored a mainstay of the BBC's Sunday schedules, which many of you seem to have loved, the Sunday classic serial. Well, sorry for neglecting that. Those serials were a big part of my and my family's Sunday viewing, so this episode will try and put that right. My mother was an English teacher and a great authority on Dickens, Thomas Hardy and the Brontes. She used to give lectures on them to various groups in Warrington and beyond, and developed quite a reputation as an entertaining and very knowledgeable speaker on those authors. She was always interested in learning more about her literary heroes and heroines, so was delighted when my father agreed that our annual family holiday was to be in Dorset in 1974. It was her big chance to follow in the footsteps of one of her most admired authors. So the rest of us were condemned to spend a week following the Thomas Hardy Trail, which took us all around the county, visiting places and landmarks, which played significant parts in some of Thomas Hardy's Wessex-based novels. My mother didn't drive. Not an unusual thing in the 70s, where, often than not, each household had no more than one car, which was exclusively used by the men of the house. And so often with discussions in this series, things really were a bit different in the 70s. Well, the upshot of this was, when we were in Dorset, we drove around lots of country lanes, stopping every now and again at a stone bench, which might have been one Hardy mentions a character sitting on in the Mayor of Casterbridge, or to look at a bollard upon which someone in June the Obscure swears an oath, 
or something like that. I don't quite remember. My mother was delighted by the whole experience. The rest of the family, especially me, age seven, were not. I was absolutely bored rigid. In time, though, I came to appreciate the storytelling of classic authors, but not necessarily the way you might imagine. As I'm amongst friends, I have a confession to make. Now, I hope my English teachers aren't listening to this episode, as I need to share a secret with you. Don't tell anyone. But I haven't read half as many of the great literary classics as I might appear to have done. I can engage in detailed discussions on the works of Charles Dickens, Jane Austen, the Brontes and Thomas Hardy. I can even do a reasonable job on James Fenimore Cooper. But the truth is, I haven't read that many of their works. So how can I converse with such authority on their works? Well, for those I haven't read, the gaps were often filled by the BBC's classic serial, which used to be broadcast around 5 or 6pm on Sunday afternoons in the UK. These were a real TV event and provided high-quality productions of some of the great literary masterpieces. One of the first ones I remember was an adaptation of Last of the Mohicans, which made a huge impression on me and helped me see beyond the simple stereotypes of cowboys and Indians that I'd seen on other TV programmes. Others I remember were David Copperfield, with Arthur Lowe as Mr Micawber, and a version of The Eagle of the Ninth by Rosemary Sutcliffe, which was compelling, whilst being really quite terrifying. It wasn't the only one which children found to be frightening. This was the only time on a Sunday when our family watched TV together with our Sunday tea, which for those not from the North was usually a sandwich and a piece of cake. We all enjoyed the programmes, which managed to convey complicated stories in a way which was enjoyable and appreciated by all the family, however old they were. Those behind most of the serials had got this down to a fine art, and even now I must congratulate them for their work. I can relate the plot of David Copperfield, which I haven't read, better than that of A Tale of Two Cities, which I have. So thank you for providing such a useful part of my literary education. Do you remember the Sunday Tea Time serials? And if so, which were your favourites? Let me know on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com Tweet at 70stvchildhood or email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com I'm really delighted and excited to welcome back Tim Worthington, who joined us on a previous episode when we were talking about the Sunday Gang. Um, Tim, welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. Hello again. Tim, I just remind you, is a writer, broadcaster, and all-round expert on popular culture. Written several books, but particularly I've mentioned is the host of the fabulous Looks Unfamiliar podcast, which remembers the things that others don't. And as mentioned in our, in our previous episode, Tim's also, and he'll probably not like me saying this, the BBC's go-to man for the clangers. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to follow you around for the rest of your life, I dare say. 
Thanks for joining us again, Tim. Really good to have you here. Uh, we're talking about the, the BBC classic serials on a Sunday afternoon. And this is something I remember vividly from my childhood. It was the first time that I came across anything like Dickens or you know, any of the other classic authors that were featured there. But they also had some, I seem to remember some children's ones. So I think E. Nesbitt, some of those adaptations. But one that um particularly want to talk to you about is is their, their adaptation of Pinocchio that they did on the 70s. I was a big fan of the film, the Disney film, but it was a very Disney-fied version of the story. And I do remember that this one wasn't quite so cutesy as a Disney one. Absolutely not. I mean, we'll come back to, I was absolutely petrified of it, and it seemed unfair because, I mean, a bit of background to the Sunday classics, there were family mm. dramas kind of in about the 6pm slot, I think, where, like you say, a lot of them would be literary yeah. adaptations. And as I got older, it became a bit more interesting to me because there was a lot of crossover with Doctor Who. Like, quite often, people who worked on that would go on to work on Sunday Classics and take a lot of the cast with them. You know, things like uh, Tom Baker, for example, was Sherlock Holmes when they did The Hound of the Baskervilles because some of the production team who worked with him were working on that as well. He wasn't a very good Sherlock Holmes, but I think he admits that himself. But... But when you were very young, there wasn't much else entertaining on a Sunday because, you know, you think of there were a couple of kids' programs on early in the morning and then you'd have things like Mm. the sort of things they couldn't really put anywhere else in the week, like foreign language instruction programs, which were sometimes interesting in their own way, sometimes weren't. Mm. Programs about the economy or arts and crafts or political roundups or states of mind with Jonathan Miller, which is a really weird, creepy thing about mental disorders, where it's him in a big swivel chair, talking to another man in a swivel chair, Weekend World on ITV, the big political discussion. Occasionally you get something like, I remember being obsessed with, there was a, I think it was either Australian or from New Zealand, but a series called The Lost Islands, where it was about some child prodigies that had been around the world sailing trip and they got shipwrecked and some of them washed up on this kind of weird, mysterious, quasi-medieval island where the residents did not like these strangers washing up Ooh. on the shore. And it was very rare you get something like that, though. Mostly it was incredibly dull stuff or, you know, that wasn't intended for you. It was things like This Is Your Right or impenetrable quiz shows like Cabbages and Kings, which my only memory of that is that it was always Giles Brandeth laughing at somebody saying the boy stood on the burning deck, that sort of <laughs> thing. And later on on the Sunday, there'd be things that you couldn't stay up for, like That's Life and some of the comedy shows like Agony and Spitting Image, you know, obviously later yeah. on. I watched all yeah. of them, but there was one thing that you could count on, which is the Sunday classics. And they were normally, you know, reasonably polite, genteel adaptations. Mm. Pinocchio, because I think going back to the source novel and not relying on, you know, popular interpretations, Pinocchio, the book is horrific. It really is. People forget it's the actual story is about a man who builds an effigy of his dead son and brings it back to life basically by via voodoo. And the book is about this puppet boy being maltreated, being stolen from, being actually turned into a donkey and exploited, you know, sold to a circus. And what made it worse than them just relying on that was that they had an actual puppet and a really roughly created puppet mm. you know, that looked like somebody had just cobbled it together in, you know, a, an over 
overpowering wash of grief, a really horrible, scratchy, splintery thing with a screechy voice walking around amongst, well, let's say actual humans, but things like Mr. Fox and Mr. Cat had, you know, the relevant animal makeup and heads on. It was, and it had very roughly drawn mm. kind of superimposed CSO backgrounds. The whole thing was just incredibly shrieky and visually disorientating and frightening. And I am led to believe that I refused to watch it after the third episode. I think there were four in total. And I wouldn't watch the last one because it was that bad. You know, it, it got to That's... be that much. And I can say that one thing later was I had a phase of collecting very early VHS releases. So, you know, everything from, you know, things like the Blondie Live video that came out before the video certificates to some of the video nasties and so on, you know, just for hmm. the prestige of owning, you know, an original copy of Zombie Flesh Eaters or, you know, something like that. The only one I ever bought that frightened me when I picked it up, and I still have it in my row of VHSs, turned around with its spine facing the wall, is the BBC video Pinocchio with him on the cover. Oh. Because it was released, edited together as a movie. It's one of the very first BBC videos, and I've watched it through once, I think. Everything about it came flooding back when I watched it, and yes, that's, that's my summation, basically. That sounds sounds very traumatic. I mean, I remember, I remember the adaptation. I remember it was it was pretty pretty dark, pretty sinister, and I can't remember there were many attractive characters in it at all. Even the the blue fairy was a sort of hectoring, uh, rather mature fairy who just seemed to pop up every time Pinocchio had done something wrong and tell him off, which wasn't very helpful. I didn't find. Yeah, and the cricket, not Jiminy Cricket, the cricket was just a. Very, very minimally moving puppet cricket who would shout criticisms. <laughs> and that that's it. And I think Geppetto hits it with wood quite a lot as well, which is disturbing. But the bit that I remember really, really upsetting me was when Mr. Fox and Mr. Cat con Pinocchio out of his money, where they mm. tend to plant it and grow a money tree. And there's something very, very sinister about what may be animals but are adults pulling a fast one on this child to get his money out of him. That somehow seemed yeah. even worse than having, you know, any more untoward intent towards it. It seemed more bleaker in a way, if you see what I mean. Because yeah, you know, I do, you're not yeah. used to adults being threatening to children in dramas for, you know, holding them to ransom or whatever. This was just different. This was a, a swindle. Mm. And on this very strange set as well, I remember not liking that at all. So I can well believe I refused to watch the last one because I, I remember being very bothered by that going up to bed that night, you know, sort of being taken up the stairs and thinking yeah. about that as I went up the stairs. So it not what you want really wasn't suitable for children at all, I don't think, and yet it was aimed at a family audience. Yeah, it's. Um, I wonder why, because I don't remember it ever being repeated they did repeat it once, I think, in a movie format. I think right. at Christmas the following year, because I remember <laughs> seeing it in the Christmas radio time and thinking, yeah, hard pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, not what you want at Christmas either. No. <laughs> no, no that, that's fascinating, because I, I don't remember the BBC doing anything quite like it afterwards. 
Not really. No, I mean, there were things that had, you know, kind of grim, bleak moments in, but not mm. on that kind of scale. It's really, really strange. And, and added very disturbingly when you watch it now is when he goes off with the, I can't remember what's it called, is it Magic Island, but with the lazy boys who get oh, turned yes. into donkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Lampwick, the main lazy boy, is played by the same kid who played Booger Benson in Grange Hill. And that gives no. it a very different sheen now because, you know, you think, what's that Booger's punishment for roughing up Tucker in the corridors? He got turned into a donkey. But he plays it brilliantly. I, I wonder why. I mean, because a lot of child actors don't really go on to do much as adults. And I, I often wonder if that's, you know, no, business-related no. more than anything. They think, I don't really want to do this as a career. I'll move on. But he was so good in this. I do wonder why he never seemed to do much else mm. afterwards. Yeah, it's a mystery. That's a mystery. No, that's. Um, I think that's going to keep me awake tonight. Thinking about that. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> as you say, it's, 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 I think it shows as, as well the power that television has and had to actually make such an impression on children for good and for bad. Yes, and I think people were. I mean, if anyone's read the brilliant Scarred for Life books by Stephen Brotherson and Dave Lawrence, they go into this a lot. But mm. there was a kind of feeling that responsibility in broadcasters towards their audience only seemed to come in after a couple of quite serious things happened in the 80s and early 90s, primarily the late night breakfast show accidents and ghost watch yeah. the BBC drama. But before that, it was almost as though quite a lot of the time people had a patronising view of their audience will like this because I think they like they will like mm. it. And if you look, I'm not singling out the Sunday Classics Pinocchio here. It was quite common to have things for children. You know, you mentioned it being odd that it was on at Christmas. Well, I associate bank holidays and Christmas around then quite a lot with, there were a lot of very long form, very depressing cartoons that would be on. That you know, children are not interested in. Adults think children like these long, boring things about starving chimney sweeps, and you know that's yes. they don't yep. really. But there was a trend towards that, mm. and also I think people had a very poor judgment of what children might find frightening or might not. I mean, I've always, always wanted to know what was going on with the. The fact that nobody appears to have said anything about the opening and closing titles of Camberwick Green. Now, I know some people like that clown. A lot of children didn't, including me. Somebody must have seen that at some point and said, like with a test card, children aren't going to like that. Similarly with other things. You know, I try to think of a good example yeah. off the top of my head. I mean, I well, know I know quite a few people who were frightened of Wurzel Gummidge, which yeah, you know, I, I can see must that. have looked at that and thought, well, that's good, but also should we account for the fact some children will be quite frightened by his appearance? And it doesn't seem to have been a thing at that point that people would give that consideration. And I think they, with the best intentions in the world, they made this Pinocchio thinking this will be great for children. And it didn't turn out that way. I mean, sometimes you don't realise until the thing's actually broadcast, you know, or yeah. it, it's yeah. like the way, you know, you get people saying, oh, I didn't realise X and Y single I made wasn't that good until it was ready and it was too late. It was kind of kind of like that when you're making something, you're not sure what the end product will be like. Yeah. No, I mean I think I think there was I think it was more as you say, it's more acceptable to scare children, whether that was deliberate or not. I mean, um, in a previous episode of this podcast, we talked about public information films. 
And, you know, there are some of those that I was absolutely terrified by. You know, I, even now I hesitate going onto a farm because all these things can happen in a farmyard. Well, it's um, interesting you say that because I once asked my mother if she ever thought, you know, with all, because with so many children and so many things were frightened of on television, what if she ever thought anything had gone too far? And rather than, you know, saying Doctor Who or, well, the start of Campbell Green or whatever, she actually said, you know, the public information film about Jimmy and his frisbee, where oh, yes. you know, he throws it into a substation, goes to get it back, and the inevitable happens, was that yeah. her view was whoever made it probably thought, you know, they were making it with good intention, but they didn't have to deal with so many ashen-faced children afterwards who'd lost all enthusiasm to do anything for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, so, yes, they did. They didn't seem to know where to draw the line, how no. to get something across without the brute force aspect to it. No, I think I think that's right. Well, thanks for that, Tim. That's really that's really fascinating. I mean, as I say, I think I'm probably going to have nightmares tonight thinking about <laughs> Pinocchio. And uh, if there are any, if I see a blue light approaching, this it's, it's going to be that fairy coming to tell me off. But uh, thanks for helping. Um, look back on the, the Sunday serials. I mean, a really important thing. I mean, I remember us as a family, we used to sit and have our tea whilst watching that serial because it was such a highlight of the Sunday view schedule. So happy memories there. So well, if thanks- you are scared, I'll just suggest turn over to ITV because actually it hadn't started at that point, but, you know, there would have been Harry Seacombe for the sake of argument in Highway singing to some people it w- built, digging up the middle of a dual carriageway about how God made the trees. So, you know, that... Oh, that, that, that's a palate cleanser. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thanks for joining us again, Tim. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining us once again and reminding us of the, frankly, quite disturbing tale of Pinocchio as brought to life by the BBC in the late 1970s. I'm sure that you weren't alone in finding the whole thing far too scary. And I hope we've all enjoyed harking back to those days of the BBC's Sunday afternoon classic serials. That's about it from me for this edition. Thank you for joining me for another trip back in time. And I really look forward to seeing you again soon for more from my 70s TV childhood.